Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. That's a powerful song. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He penned that poem in the 1860s. Longfellow uh, was a genius scholar and writer long before he penned the words to that beautiful Christmas song. In the 1830s, he had already had a, a uh, strong career. He was married. Unfortunately, grief touched his life very early on. His wife passed away suddenly. As a young man, as a young husband, his life was completely changed. He threw himself into his work, into his scholarly efforts. Eventually, he remarried, had five children. On the eve of the Civil War in 1861, a tragic accident. His wife was, second wife, was uh, striking a match. And she struck the match. It caught her clothes on fire. And she burned to death. In the midst of that grief, his son, his oldest son, Charles, had signed up to serve in the Civil War. And he was injured. He was wounded. So in the midst of grief, in the midst of a war, in the midst of battles, and in the midst of his nursing his son's injury, Wadsworth Longfellow sat down and penned those words. The, the strongest line to me is the, second ver- the third verse, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's how I felt. You can imagine losing two wives, having a son that had been injured, trying to keep him alive in the midst of fighting off illness after being uh, wounded in the Civil War, looking around and seeing the great divide in our nation that, the, that our country was dealing with in the 1860s, but then the great faith that it took to pen the words of verse 5, till ringing... And singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice to chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. How many of you believe that that could still take place? That God can bring peace? Folks, the reality is, as we look around us, we see a world devolved into chaos. Look in our political situation. Never in my lifetime have we been more divided than we are today. I don't mean we just have folks on on one side of the political aisle voting one way and folks on the other side, side voting the other way, but we're divided. There are people in our country that if you're, you're on the other side, they hate you and, and vice versa. And it's, it's broken and it is sad. And not only that, but we live in a world that has constantly been fighting wars and civil conflicts. And I don't anticipate that the United States will devolve into another north-south civil war conflict. But folks, it is not outside the realm of possibility that we will see some type of civil conflict or civil conflicts in our land within in the next year or five years or 10 years. We've seen uh, uprisings. We've seen anger. We've seen riots. We've seen uh, the, the, the army be called out in our own nation, even in this year, this past year. The divide is tragic. 
If that's not enough, we see a lack of peace worldwide. We're in the midst of a pandemic that's caused us to be fraught with frustration, disappointment, anger, disillusionment. What's going to happen? Where are we going to be? It affects the internal peace. I mean, the reality is when you think of peace, you think either of peace in terms of world conflict, the lack of world conflict, or you go to internal peace. You think about that, that part of your soul that you long for uh, the ability to be able to sit down in your home or lay your head on the pillow and your mind to be at ease and your heart to be at peace and you to be able to rest. But folks, that's not the world that we're living in currently. Scripture has a lot to say about peace. In fact, there's a, there's a thread running through the pages of Scripture that details God's design for bringing peace to conflict, both national, international, and also in, within our own lives. You go all the way back to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus is described, the coming Messiah, as the Prince of Peace, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will bring peace. That is a, a prophetic declaration that's go, that, that is true. It was true of Jesus when he was on earth the first time. And it'll be true of Jesus when he comes back. And he sets things in order as we long for that to be. It's a prophetic declaration. You move all the way into the New Testament. That moment in time when the angels spoke and they declared. What did they say? What did Wadsworth Longfellow record? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what the angels said. So you have a prophetic declaration in the Old Testament. You have an angelic declaration in the New Testament of peace. In the Old Testament, the word is shalom. It means an overall well-being. It's more than just an internal peace. It's more than just a lack of conflict. It is the fact that we are getting along and working together and working together well. And that was God's desire and design for his people in the Old Testament. And it's what he longs to bring about in our hearts and lives in the New Testament, and the angels declared that to the shepherds on that mountainside 2,000 or so years ago. Not only is that declared in the New Testament, but you move into Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes that because Jesus came and died on a cross, he died on the cross so that he could give us peace with God. In other words, there's a theological understanding to peace in Scripture as well. The implication being that you and I are at odds or at war, or in conflict with God. There's also an expectation in the New Testament that we not only embrace peace, Paul uses it in his postscript, in his introductions to letters, grace and peace, talks about those elements as a greeting or as a closing, as a commentary to, to the way that we ought to exist as, follow, as followers of Jesus and fellow believers. Jesus described peace, Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the very children of God. Peace is all throughout Scripture. And yet we see ourselves in a world described by conflict and tension and frustration. There are some places we need peace, folks. We need peace internally. You and I need to experience peace internally. In our hearts and in our lives, we need to experience peace externally. We need to experience peace among our family members, with our friends, with our co-workers. But before we can experience peace internally and externally, we have to experience peace vertically in a relationship with God. 
What I'd like us to do over the next few minutes is unpack three principles about peace throughout the pages of Scripture that will help us to make sense of what God expects, what God desires, and hopefully will help you to walk out of here with a better sense of not only why we're in the situation we're in, but what's the solution to experience peace in the midst of the conflict that we are watching take place. Principle number one is this, our lack of peace, our lack of peace in ourselves in our relationships and in our world is indicative of a lack of peace with God. Let me say this very clearly. The reason our world is in conflict isn't because we're not smart enough, isn't because we're not healthy enough, isn't because we don't agree with one another or we need to be more tolerant or we need to change our minds about moral or ethical things. That's not going to solve the tensions politically, geopolitically, or even in health situations in our country. The reason we live in a world that is so in conflict is because we're in conflict with God. We don't have a right relationship with the living God. Ken Sand put it this way, conflict is a difference of opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That, that happens in interpersonal relationships. It happens in a relationship with God. It happens in relationship even with ourselves. Problem is that the conflicts we see reflect an internal conflict or ultimately a vertical conflict that is keeping us from a right standing with God. Here's what I'd like you to think about for a moment. How many conflicts have you experienced in the last week, in the last month? Maybe some of you are in great shape, meaning you haven't had that many conflicts. You've been maybe a little bit isolated, not been around a whole lot of people, not, not, not had to deal with that black sheep at Thanksgiving this year. Because it wasn't quite as large a family gathering as maybe it has been in years past. So maybe your conflict scale is, is a little bit down in terms of normalcy. Or maybe that's not you at all. Maybe you have been in a lot of conflict lately. Maybe you're a teacher at a school. Or maybe you've got parents who are, have kids at school or in remote school. I promise you the conflict's not died down in those situations. And the tension has not died down there. But whatever it is, think about those tensions that you have, those conflicts. Maybe it's interpersonal. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker that you can't get along with. Or maybe it's just reflecting on the conflict outside, the, the political divide, a president that's elected and a president-elect that's to be, and the division there of, are we ever going to have a certainty on who's president in 2021? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure you know the answer. I'm not sure I want to. I mean, I don't want to go there. I'm not trying to create any more, any more tension or conflict. But that's just where we are, right? You know what that is? It's indicative of the fact that we're broken before God. Our greatest problem in the world is the fact that you and I are sinners and the conflict that we have with God is this. God is supremely, unalterably holy. He is perfect where we're not. And anytime we break his law and break his command, we essentially uh, work in conflict against God. We're saying to God, God, we don't want your way. We want our way. We want to do our thing. We don't want to do your thing. And so we're in conflict with God and the peace or the lack of peace that you have is indicative of the fact that you might be in a relationship that's separated from God. 
The lack of inner peace might be because you're in a situation where you're not right with God. Let me give you an illustration of this. Char, uh, excuse me, George Simonon. I don't know if you know who he is. I didn't know who he was till I came across this illustration. He's the most prolific novel writer of all time. Catch this. He wrote 408 novels. He averaged finishing a novel in nine days. It takes me about a full week to write a six to seven page manuscripted sermon. I can't imagine writing a 200 or 300 page novel in nine days. Can't imagine it. Here's why he did this. His words. I have only one ambition left. To be completely at peace with myself. I doubt if I shall ever manage it. I do not think it is possible for anyone. It's not a question of money, for that kind of happiness must come from within yourself. I do not know of any man, however successful, who is completely happy. I write because if I did not, I must die. He embraced what Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote about Alexander Hamilton. He was writing like he was running out of time. Like there was a constant desire to have to have something to do because if this novel writer paused for any moment in time, he had no peace. If he sat down to be alone with his own thoughts, he did not have peace. But we're guilty of that. We may not guilty, be guilty of that by writing 408 novels, but we're guilty of that by scrolling through the pages of Facebook, or the screens of Facebook, or watching television, or paying attention to all sort of things that don't help us at all. And I'm not saying we can't do some of that, but you know what we do? A lot of times we do that to drown out the fact that if we pause in our own thoughts, in just our own quietness, we're not at peace. Do you know why we're not at peace? Do you know why this author wasn't at peace? Simonon was not at peace? It's because he didn't have a relationship with the peace giver. Folks, if you're watching, if you're listening, if you're paying attention today, and you don't have peace, and you don't have peace in relationships, you don't have peace in your own life, it is likely indicative of the fact that you're living at war with God. Second principle. We need to receive peace before we can share peace. Some of you realize that one of the privileges we have as Christians is to share not only the good news that we have, but the, the calmness and the ease and the consistency and the wisdom and the things that God's given us, we share that with someone else. So if we've got peace, we can share that peace. I can't give you the same kind of peace I have, but I can tell you how to get it. I can tell you how to receive it. But here's the thing. Before you can be a sharer of peace, and we'll talk about that in a minute, being a peacemaker, we have to receive it. We have to experience it. And some of you are in a place where you don't have much of it in your life. Maybe you've not experienced it. Let me illustrate it with the story of the prodigal son. Story of the prodigal son's found in Luke chapter 15. And boy, he didn't have peace. He didn't have peace when, he, when the story started out. He had everything he could have hoped for. He had a wealthy dad who had plenty of stuff. And so because he was prideful and because he was arrogant and because he was desirous of wealth and probably because he had a severe lack of inner peace, he went to his dad and said, give me my stuff. Give me my inheritance. Let me take what is mine now and I'm going to go live any way I want. And he did. He wasted everything he had. But we find him, we discover him in the Luke 15 story in the pig stall. I can promise you he didn't have inner peace there because the story says 
My dad's servants are better off than I am. I'm here wanting to eat what the pigs eat. A lack of inner peace. He he had a lack of relational peace or external peace. His friends left him. Some of you understand this. You remember back in those days when you had it and you had it to share and you invited all your buddies out to join you. And guess what? As long as you were paying the tab, they were with you. When you stopped paying the bills, where did they go? They, they left. They're done. They don't have any use for you anymore because you're not paying the bills. Where were the prodigal son's friends? They weren't in the pig stall. They weren't sharing the husks with him. He had a lack of external peace. He had a lack of peace with his family. He was in a broken relationship. His brother hated him. We discovered that later in the story. He wasn't sure about his dad. He wasn't sure about the rest of his family. The prodigal son had a lack of internal peace and a lack of external peace. But the reason that he had a lack of internal peace and a lack of external peace is because he was broken before God. He had a lack of peace vertically. He wasn't right with God. He had disobeyed his father. He had dishonored his father. He had dishonored his father's name. And by extension, he had dishonored God. And you know what he said in that pig stall? Son, I'm going to repent. This is, this is not the life I want to live. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to go and I'm going to beg mercy. And I'm going to ask my dad for forgiveness. And I'm going to ask him, hey, just let me be a servant. If I'm a servant, that's good enough. You know what he did? He went back. And on the way back, his dad was looking for him to come back. That's the way God is, by the way. God is watching for you right now. He knows you don't have peace. He knows you're broken. He knows you're apart from him. He knows your relationships are in shambles. He knows your heart is, is frustrated and is guilty and is, has a lack of peace. He knows that. And he's waiting. He's waiting just like the prodigal son's dad. He's waiting on you to come to him. Before you can share peace, you've got to receive it. How do you receive it? You do what the prodigal son did. I'm telling you, if you're broken right now, if you're living in a situation where you lack peace, admit that you're broken before God. Admit that the problem is not your circumstances and the problem is not everybody else out there and the problem is not a pandemic. The problem is not the political divide we live in. Admit that the problem is you. Admit to God, I'm a sinner, and I've broken your laws, and I need to be made right with you. That's what the prodigal son did. You know what he experienced? He experienced forgiveness when he repented of his sins. He trusted that his father would forgive. His father forgave, and he was accepted back into the family. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You don't have to walk past December the 13th. This is the Sunday that you're going to watch this sermon. You don't have to walk past this day continuing in a lack of peace. You can trust in a holy, glorious, heavenly Father who will give you peace. I can remember like it was yesterday, the day I trusted Jesus to be my Savior. My problem, the the thing that drove me to God in that moment was a lack of peace. I'd been going through it for like six years. Doubt and uncertainty about eternity and a relationship with God. And when I finally came to the place where I admitted I was a sinner, you know what God did? He forgave me right where I was. And he gave me a peace that hasn't left me since. You can experience that. If you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, he will give you peace and the peace that you long for. Here's the third principle. Not only do we need to receive peace, but if we've experienced peace, for many of you watching, for many of you in the room, if we've experienced peace, let me tell you, we have a responsibility to be peacemakers. God has called us not to bring division, but he's called us to bring peace to the lives of other people. Uh, In in, um, Christianity today, 
I was sent this by a church member earlier this week. It's a fascinating quote. Listen to this. One day, God will end all injustice and death. It means he'll bring peace to earth. But Christmas reminds us that God's first step in ending injustice and death was to submit himself to injustice and death. You get that the the point of Christmas is that because we were broken and we were at war with God, the only way that that could be solved is if that relationship was mended. But the only way to mend that relationship is for God to do something unique. And so he sent Jesus and a human baby who would grow up to be a perfect person who would die on a cruel cross to forgive us of our sins. Jesus would be the ultimate prince of peace. He would be the ultimate peace giver. He would be the ultimate peace sharer. But to to give us that, he had to experience a lot of conflict. The conflict of the whips. And the conflict of the nails. And the conflict of the religious leaders. And the conflict and the hate of Herod and Pilate. And on down the line, Jesus in his own person experienced the pain of what it took to be a peace giver, a peacemaker in our lives. And he did so so that you and I can enter into a relationship with himself. And then as we experience that, he tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know, if you've experienced the peace of God, you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to reflect that in the world. Why does he want you to reflect that? Because nobody else can. You realize our world is crying out for peace? You realize that that the world would turn to any person who could legitimately promise that they would bring an end to the division in our land. If we had a candidate that could stand up and say, I will unite us and we'll all get along, man, we would would fall all over ourselves if someone could prove that. Why? Because we long for that. We long for peace to to be experienced in in our situations and circumstances. But folks, the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, God put his Holy Spirit inside of you and he expects you and I to be part of that solution for the conflict that surrounds us. He expects us to be peacemakers and peace sharers and peace givers. You know what I'm talking about. The conflict in your family and the conflict in your home and the conflict with friends. I'll tell you, as I was preparing this sermon this week, God did a whole lot of convicting on my part. Convicting me. I'm not always the nicest person to be around. I know y'all can't imagine that. You can't imagine that I would ever be cold. Can't imagine that I would ever be grumpy and mean. But y'all only see me in this sermon format. This is probably me at my best. Not me at my normal. My kids would tell you, my wife would tell you that I can, I can shoulder a, a, I can put a cold shoulder on and be grudging and, and be short and, and have one word answers and be mean and be angry. You know what? God spoke to me this week as, as I was preparing this message. He said, Chris, that kind of stuff incites conflict in your home. It's not right. It's not being a peacemaker. It's being a divider. It's being someone who thrives in conflict. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're just as good at it as I am. You're just as easily frustrated and easily entered into the conflict as I am. And you know what? For a moment in time, it makes us feel pretty good that we can make someone else feel bad. And then we experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks to our hearts and he says, that's not Jesus-like. 
That's not creating peace. That's not anything like the story of Christmas. That's not anything like what the angels said. That's a whole lot more like what Longfellow penned. Man, the, the world's in conflict. We're fighting and we're at war and we're, we're a part of that problem rather than a part of the solution. God convicts us and he speaks to us. So what are we to do about that? I'm not going to dive into this in a whole lot of detail, but I, I want to leave you as believers with this application. Ken Sand in his book, The Peacemaker, he gave four specific applications for how you and I are to engage in peace around us and, and try to be peacemakers and problem solvers instead of people who thrive in conflict. The first thing he said is that our goal is to glorify God. In, in other words, if you're in, divided with someone else, you can't have a motivation of having to be right. That's really where our conflicts come from, right? When, when I think I'm right, my wife thinks she's right, and I know I'm right, and she knows she's right. She's usually right. I'm usually wrong in the reality of what's going on. But when we hold on to that intention, my child holds on to that intention, what's the goal? The goal is not to glorify God. The goal is to be right. And, and, and Stan tells us that our goal needs to be glorifying God. What glorifies God in the conflict that I have with somebody else? I don't know. Not much. In other words, we need to have a goal of glorifying God. We need to get the log out of our own eye. A lot of you know how to fix other people. You've got children, you've got nephews, you've got nieces, you've got family members, you've got parents. Man, you know how to fix them. You know what their problem is. You know what's wrong in their lives. You could fix politics in a moment if people would just listen to you. You know how to fix things. Problem is, in order to deal with conflict interpersonally and relationally, we've got to get the log out of our own eye before we try to fix someone else. You take a long, hard look in the mirror and see where our sin is and address our own unrighteousness. Then Sam says we're to gently restore. In other words, if we do have to have a conversation with someone about their faults, starts with us dealing with ourselves and then it ends with us being gentle and restoring. And then finally it says go and be reconciled. Here's what I want to leave you with. Some of you are hearing this sermon and you're thinking of a conflict that you've had for days, weeks, months, or God forbid, in some cases, years. You're a follower of Jesus and you know Jesus and you know you're saved and you know you're going to heaven with me when you die, but you're still at odds with a person that you have not reconciled with. I'll tell you something, follower of Jesus. It's not who we're to be. God says we're to be peacemakers not conflict creators or conflict keepers. I'm going to tell you something. You shouldn't wait on that person to make the move. You shouldn't wait on that person to come back and apologize. Maybe they're the one in the most wrong. I don't know. You should be the one to seek reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus came all the way from heaven to earth to bring us peace. And if we've experienced it, then we need to be peacemakers. Close with this illustration that ties it all up. Don Richardson and his family were missionaries to New Guinea. They went to serve the Sawi people in New Guinea. As they were there serving the Sawi people, they discovered some things about this particular people group. This particular people group thrived on treachery and deception. That's how they operated. They, they thought that was right. They acted as if that were right. And so when Richardson and his family shared the good news of Jesus and told them about the story of Jesus and told them about Judas's betrayal, the Sawi people actually thought that Judas was the one to emulate, not Jesus, because they believed treachery 
and deceit were values that should be emulated. And so Richardson and his wife and his eight-month-old son, when they went there, they really became discouraged and confused, and they were about to leave the Sawi people and go serve on the mission field somewhere else when a conflict broke out between a Sawi tribe and another tribe. In the midst of that conflict, the Sawi chief took his infant son, carried his infant son in his arms to the chief of the other tribe and handed his infant son to the chief of the other tribe. In their, in their language, the act was called giving the peace child away. And so what happened was uh, the entirety of that child's life living in the other tribe, it meant that there would be peace among the tribes for the entirety of that child's life. Richardson and his wife found their gospel analogy. He turned to the Sawi people and he explained to the Sawi people that God, the glorious tribe leader, the one who rules over everything, sent his son as a peace child to give us peace between him and between us. And for the entirety of that child's life, and thank goodness Jesus doesn't ever die again, we have peace with God. You know what the people realized? They realized that because Judas acted deceitfully against a peace child, he was actually an evil person. And so the tribe, almost to a person, came to faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus came to give us peace. He came to give you peace. If you don't have peace, I would beg you that you don't go any further today till you bow your heart before God, till you confess your sins, till you repent, till you ask Jesus to give you the peace that you so desperately need. Believer, if you're living in conflict with somebody else and you can fix it, I want you to not let this Christmas season go away until you fix it and be reconciled. Let one great thing come out of 2020. Let that relationship that you're in conflict with Let it be restored in 2020. Ask God to help you be a peacemaker rather than a conflict creator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment. We recognize that all too often we are guilty of inciting conflict. We are guilty of acting in frustration. We are guilty of acting in selfishness. Lord, we're not the kind of people all the time that we ought to be. We, instead of seeking peace, we pursue our own selfish means. Forgive us. Lord God, I thank you that thousands of years ago, even before the world began, you understood that we'd be in conflict with you and you planned to send your son to be our peace child, to be our redeemer and our forgiver, to give us what we desperately needed, a relationship with the living God in peace. Lord God, thank you that you've done that. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would not only experience your peace by receiving you as Lord and Savior, but Lord, that we as believers would live that peace out, would share that peace with those who desperately need it. Lord, make us your servants in sharing the good news of your Son, sharing the peace of your Son with those who need to know you and need to experience you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.